0: Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of DoodleKisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. DoodleKisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today I'm bringing you my interview with Dr. Karen Munyana, a veterinary specialist in epilepsy from North Carolina State University. We discuss the basics of epilepsy, but keep in mind this podcast is for educational purposes only. Please discuss the care of your dog with your veterinarian. Enjoy the episode. <music> Hey, everybody in Doodle Kisses land, I've got Dr. Munyana here, and I'm going to let her tell you about her position and where she works, so go ahead and tell us, tell us what you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm Karen Munyana. I'm a professor of neurology at NC State University College of Veterinary Medicine, and my main area of research interest is
0: on canine epilepsy, how to treat it, um, understanding the disease better. Great. So we're going to get some questions answered about canine epilepsy. But I'm curious because I like to ask everybody this at the beginning. Do you have any pets yourself? I do. I have two dogs
1: and a cat. I've actually uh, had Rottweilers pretty much my whole adult life. Um, so I have a Brottweiler rescue and then I have another um, rescue dog. She's kind of like a golden a Gordon setter uh-huh. and then a orange tabby cat. So a full household of dogs and cats.
0: Yeah, did you have pets growing up or dogs? Let's focus that on dogs. Did you have d- dogs growing up? Yeah,
1: yeah, I grew up with dogs. Um, I had dogs pretty much my whole life. Been around dogs and cats my whole life, so love having them around. Houses
0: in a home without pets. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I love when we have actual dog people. Which who else are we gonna <laughs> have <on> here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering how you got interested in veterinary medicine in the first place. Clearly, you're a dog lover and you like animals, but what? What really tipped the scale for you to go that direction? Yeah, you know,
1: most veterinarians, if you talk to them, they have the history that they read the veterinary books when they were young. They knew they wanted to be a veterinarian their whole life. I actually don't have that story. I know I loved animals. I was focused on marine biology um, it has in high school and as an undergraduate. Growing up in California, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then as I learned more about marine biology, um, I didn't know if it was the perfect fit for me. So in undergrad, I decided that I wanted to pursue veterinary medicine, but knew animals for a long time, just didn't know the veterinary side of things.
0: Right. And early in your career, did you have a typical veterinarian job, you know, in a clinic or did you do other things? Yeah. During um during undergraduate, I did spend time volunteering
1: in a veterinary hospital and also um, in my undergraduate had uh, opportunity to work with some researchers as well not doing veterinary research because I wasn't at school that had a a veterinary college, but doing animal-related research, which was really interesting and helpful in forming what I wanted to do later on.
0: Okay. And how long have you been in your current position in neurology? Um, I have been at NC
1: State since um, 1994 doing neurology, so quite a
0: while. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Um, So tell me how you got interested in epilepsy because I think you do some research in that area, correct?
1: Yes, yes. So um, I, initially my area of research in neurology was not epilepsy. Actually an epilepsy project kind of fell into my lap from someone who said, oh, I think this would be interesting to study. And I got involved in it and then I realized how valuable it was. And it's primarily the pet owners that that make my job as an epilepsy researcher has rewarding. They're obviously very Um, The disease is devastating and they're very focused on supporting people trying to advance our understanding of it and get better treatment. So once I did that one epilepsy study, I realized how valuable the work was and what a great network of people I had to work with me um, and decided that that's what my specific area of research that I wanted to focus on.
0: Wonderful, and it's so wonderful that there are people studying this. So my experience with epilepsy is um, my late labradoodle, Roscoe, he was the 50-50 lab poodle mix. Um, at age five, he had a seizure, and when I was looking at him worried about what's happening, to I thought it was bloat. I thought somehow like, oh no, this is the end, and he has bloat, and how am I gonna get him out of the house and into the vet? And he was just sort of frozen on the ground in position, kind of shaky, but not in my mind. You know, I think most people have never experienced epilepsy in a dog or a person. Imagine like someone kind of shaking, you know, like you seizing in a... But he was, yeah, it was hard to describe exactly what I saw. He was on his belly and kind of trying to get up, but couldn't move and frozen. And later he was drooling. And so all those things to me, having never seen bloat, made me think that. But then he was fine and my husband was able to like he came home shortly at the afterwards and took him to the vet and they decided he had a seizure. And he was five. And so for me that was surprising because I didn't know anything about it or what the age of onset. So I'm curious, what are some theories on the causes of epilepsy? And I realize there's different kinds and so you might wanna dive into sure. that however you like. <laughs>
1: sure. So epilepsy, I think first going to what it means. Epilepsy as a definition is recurrent seizures. So any individual, animal, or person who has two or more seizures um, that are separated by at least 24 hours has, by definition, epilepsy. So a single seizure is not epilepsy, but once it's recurrent, it is. And the causes of epilepsy are pretty varied. By far, the most common thing we see is idiopathic epilepsy. And what idiopathic epilepsy means is there's no underlying structural cause that we can identify in the brain. And it's believed to have a genetic predisposition. So if you do have a dog with epilepsy, um, other causes could be, for instance, a brain tumor or an infection of the brain or a stroke. Dogs can get strokes as well. But all those things that we can see if we do testing on the dog. And usually that testing to look for an underlying cause involves an MRI of the brain and will involve a spinal tap. And a dog with idiopathic epilepsy, if those tests are done, show none of those structural abnormalities that we can see. So it's a problem where the brain is hyperexcitable, so it has too much excitatory signal. Um, You know, the electricity that causes the brain to transmit impulses, that's how it connects to the rest of the body, and it's too excited. um, And the underlying mechanism is probably on the cellular level, so nothing we can see. Um, but we do believe it is it is inherited in certain breeds. And that's the idiopathic epilepsy. And it does tend to have an age of onset of six months to six years of age. So your dog was right in that age bracket. And, um, you know, unfortunately, both Poodles, Golden Retrievers, and Labrador Retrievers are dogs that we know are predisposed. So the Doodles, unfortunately, do get idiopathic epilepsy as
0: well. Between the retriever the two retrievers and the poodle is there like a hierarchy of one that gets it a lot more than the other or are they pretty close
1: um i think they're pretty close uh poodles actually by nature get epilepsy but their epilepsy tends to be in my experience a little um less severe so dogs besides just having idiopathic epilepsy it's not a single disease and probably different breeds may have a different different type of epilepsy due to what that that problem is on the molecular level which we don't know in most breeds Mm -hmm. so some dogs their epilepsy may be milder and some dogs may have more severe epilepsy in my experience I would say the retrievers tend to have more severe epilepsy than the poodles but they both get epilepsy
0: oh interesting that it seems to be more severe. Um, So can you say a little bit about like the types of seizures that dogs might experience, grand maul and all those other terms? Yeah,
1: so by far what we think of most commonly is the grand maul or generalized seizure. And that um, typically presents with an animal who will lose their normal level of consciousness. So oftentimes they'll fall onto their side And they'll have either stiffening of all their limbs or stiffening and then paddling of all their limbs. Sometimes associated with that will be jaw chomping, salivation. They can lose their bladder and bowels. So there can be urination and defecation as well. Um, And that's by far what we think of as most commonly. Um, We do also see with all sorts of epilepsy, we can see focal seizures, and the difference between those is essentially how they originate and spread in the brain. So a generalized seizure spreads throughout the brain and actually starts throughout the brain. A focal seizure will just involve a specific area of the brain. And the manifestations that we see are um, a reflection of the part of the brain that's involved. So you could have just a focal motor seizure, where just let's say, one limb or one side of the body is moving. Dogs will get focal motor seizures where they just have a little bit of um, movement around their muzzle, maybe twitching of their eyes, twitching of their, their whiskers. You can also have uh, focal seizures that affect more sensory areas. And those are hard for us to discern in dogs. But by far what we know in people, you can have visual seizures or behavioral seizures. So things that may not manifest as outright movements but are due to some dysfunction in the brain. And typically in those, um, you know, they're difficult to identify at first, but owners may notice a pattern coming on. And one of the cardinal signs of that is that the animals, again, their consciousness will not be normal. So they may not be unconscious, but they won't be appropriate. So, and usually I'll have my um, clients and, and one of the questions I ask them is, if you talk to your dog, does your dog respond to you like he or she normally does? And typically, in a seizure, the answer for that will be no, regardless of what sort of seizure it is, because they're not completely. They may not be again unconscious, but they're not appropriately aware of their environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, if the dog isn't moving, like paddling and just kind of frozen, is that still considered a grand mal? If they're stiff, yes, it is okay. considered a grand mal, and there's actually
1: then. Other types of unusual seizures we see. So we can see what's called an atonic seizure where the dog will actually lose all their muscle tone. And usually those dogs will be walking around and then all of a sudden completely collapse and then get up, walk around again and completely collapse. So there's all different sorts. And, you know, we think about the classic ones, um, but there's unusual ones too. And, And sometimes with the unusual ones, it can be a sign of other things. For instance, an animal can have syncope or fainting. And an animal that faints will collapse as well. Um, there's problems with the equilibrium system, which can cause problem animals to fall over, have unusual signs. So all these episodes aren't only seizures, um, but they're one of the things to be considered. And then usually the veterinarian, by asking specific questions and doing an examination, can help narrow down whether or not it is indeed truly an epileptic seizure.
0: Okay. Now, with my dog, Roscoe, he managed to go six years without needing any medication. He had them spread out enough, or even if they did seem like they were clustered a little bit, it didn't happen again for a long time. So, we managed without any meds for six years. Um, Is that typical? Do most dogs need medication? Um, That
1: is not typical. You were lucky. Most dogs do, unfortunately, need medication. But again, as I mentioned before, there's a whole um, array of severity of epilepsy and it used to be thought that it was important to treat dogs early and aggressively uh, with the thought that seizures beget seizures. So the more seizures an animal has, the more difficult they are to control over the long term. And that's something that's been proven actually in experimental models of epilepsy. It's never been proven in dogs or people with epilepsy. And, and that may still be the case. And that's why we recommend if if seizures are severe, we treat them. Although now the thought is perhaps there's kind of a natural progression of epilepsy that each individual is pre-programmed to. So your dog's epilepsy was pre-programmed to be less severe than perhaps another dog's. Um, and it just varies. And there's unfortunately no way to predict that. Although it may be t- Um, inherited to a degree. Because again, certain breeds of dogs, certain lineages of dogs may tend to have more severe seizures than others.
0: Okay, so let's say that um, a dog had slightly more severe seizures or more frequent than my dog. What would be the consequences of not treating with meds if somebody decided, I I just don't want to do medication for whatever reason? um, What are some of the consequences of seizing other than more seizures?
1: So the consequences and, and the decision to, to start medication, yes or no, I think is a very personal one. And it has to be made on an individual basis. You know, as a veterinarian, I have guidelines that I use, but you have to take the individual circumstance into account to decide. The reason we recommend um, treatment is, is, number one, for that thought that seizures maybe get seizures. So the, again, that we've never shown that in animals or in in our naturally occurring disease, but by all means, we know it happens in laboratory animals. So by treating, um, do we get a better response over time? And there are some studies in in dogs with epilepsy that looked at them over long-term, and there is some evidence to suggest the dogs that did better, maybe that were treated earlier. So perhaps by avoiding further seizures, you're avoiding progression of the epilepsy. That's kind of an unknown. I think the biggest reason is to prevent a seizure that could cause serious consequences. So if a dog has a seizure that lasts more than five minutes, that's considered status epilepticus. If a dog has a seizure and then stops seizuring, but never really regains its normal consciousness and has another one, that again is considered status epilepticus. And status epilepticus, it can be life-threatening. So if the body continues to seizure for an unlimited period of time or an extensive period of time, there can have serious consequences on the brain and other organ systems just due to the repeated activity, the metabolic demands, and an increased temperature, and those can be life-threatening. So that's the main reason if an animal tends to have more frequent seizures or severe seizures um, to that we treat them is to try to get those seizures under control to prevent them from perhaps having something that could be more serious and life-threatening.
0: Right? Yeah, it makes sense. And it's such a horrible thing to witness when you're right. witnessing your dog go through that, that just to, you know, avoid that is probably enough for yes. most people. Yes. Um, now, what are the typical treatment options? What are the most common treatment options and, and any side effects for those?
1: Yeah, so the most common thing that we do, by all means, is medications, the anti-epileptic drugs. And of those drugs, uh, we, there's four that we use most commonly in veterinary medicine. It's phenobarbital, potassium bromide, a drug called zanisamide, and a drug called leviteracetam or kefra. And phenobarbital is the oldest drug that we have. Um, potassium bromide is has been around for many years. The zonisamide and keppra, we've only been using for I would say probably the last ten or so years. Those are drugs that were more recently approved in humans, and we use them um, based on the information that we have in human medicine. Um, all drugs that treat seizures have side effects, and what they're doing essentially is I mentioned that seizures are due to hyperexcitability of the brain, so the Medications work by dampening the excitability of the brain, and because of that, we're going to see general side effects, and all seizure medications can cause lethargy and some incoordination. Uh, depending on the type of medication, we can see other side effects as well. So, for instance, phenobarbital, which we know is the most effective drug to treat seizures in our dogs, also has more side effects than some of the newer drugs, as so desinazamide and leviteracetam. It can cause an increased appetite, increased water consumption, increased uh, urination. It can have effects on the liver. It can have effects on red blood cells. So there are things that need to be monitored. I don't think the side effects should preclude use of it because we know it's quite effective. But it just says that if, if a dog's going to be placed on it, they need to be monitored um, with blood work th- periodically.
0: hmm And I've been hearing more and more about CBD oil from the lay public, not necessarily from veterinary sources and people who swear by CBD oil in treating seizures. And I was wondering if you have any experience with clients that use this or if you know of any current research. Yeah, so CBD is an interesting thing. I
1: I have to say being in North Carolina um, as a veterinarian, I am legally not allowed to recommend or even Consult veterinarians or or my clients on CBD. So I do not have any personal use with it. But, you know, it it is something that initially was used in human medicine. And now there's a product that's approved, a drug that's FDA approved that contains CBD for use of specific epilepsy syndromes in people, in children primarily. So it's gained use there. And then there are people who are using CBD um, in different formulations to treat epilepsy. The most research is being done at Colorado State University because uh, CBD is legal in the state, and there is a veterinary neurologist there who is currently doing a study with it on epilepsy. And I think what owners need to be cautioned about is that CBD is not a drug right now, so it's not controlled. So the CBD you get from one source may not be the CBD that you're getting from another source. So there's a lot of potential variability in what you're getting. And there's a lot of questions in terms of how well, particularly the oral products are absorbed in dogs. So I don't think right now we have enough information to say that CBD is helpful. Um, But hopefully based on this work that's being done at Colorado state, we will have that information in the next few years. The other thing that I would caution, um, epileptic owner pet owners to think about is that it can have drug reactions. So some work early work that came out of Colorado showed that it can have effect on the liver. So if you're using other drugs that may affect the liver, it, there could be the potential for them to have drug interactions. So by all means, I would say before using something like that, definitely discuss it with your veterinarian. But hopefully, again, within the next five years or so we'll have some information as to the relative effectiveness and what other side effects may be seen with use of it.
0: Yeah, CBD is legal here in Washington too. So it totally like left my mind that I forgot about other states. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that you any- may just not be able to, to play with that in any way. And I think, you know, the whole idea of natural sounds great. But really, if any kind of natural source or ingredient has power to do something, then then it's a chemical like anything else and could have side effects and would need to be pure, have some purity, you know, um, certifications or whatever. And there would need to be a known dose for different weights of dogs possibly. So I think it's so important to remember that just because something's natural doesn't necessarily make it safe, just like opium and all, all sorts of natural sources of chemicals, you know? So, but at the same time, I care about whether it's effective. So if it turns out that it works, then great. I don't care if it's natural or synthetic as long right. as it works with minimal side effects.
1: Exactly. And I think that's what we need to do is look at all the options available and make a decision on what must be, might be best for an individual dog looking at the side effects and the effectiveness and, of course, the cost and how it interferes with other drugs. And the other thing we always think about is how easy is it to administer. So is there's, for instance, one of the new drugs, Kefra, the leviteracetam, there's a new formulation now, but oftentimes in early on had to be given three times a day. And for a lot of pet owners, giving a medication who work, giving a medication three times a day is very difficult. So in my opinion, if you're dispensing something like that, then you may be setting Them up for failure, or asking them to do something that isn't reasonable to do. I know personally, Mm -hmm. I would have a very hard time giving my dog three time a day medication
0: based on my work schedule. Right, you'd have to hire someone exactly (laughs) exactly yes. So I know that I hear stories about some dog owners who start seizure medications and then they wean off of it, and the dog is fine forever. And other pet owners who have to continually adjust medications and add new ones and increase the dose and do this. And I'm wondering how common is each of those extremes or you know are those more common than than the average you know do you just take one med forever and that's all it takes yeah it, there is a, again a
1: quite variation and we used to say that dogs that started seizure medications had to be on them lifelong and we didn't expect anything different now there is some research that suggests that a percentage of dogs so it's a small percentage less than 20% will go into remission meaning that their seizures get under control. And then you have to decide, is that remission because of the medication or is that remission despite medication? So some dogs will just stop seizuring because the medication is so effective for their specific type of seizure, but it may be that they don't need the medication anymore. And that again is the question as to, do you try to wean your dog off the medication to see what happens? That's a very individual thing that needs to be discussed with your veterinarian. Because there is information to suggest that If you take a dog off of seizure medication, and indeed that seizure medication was helping the dog, then the seizures are going to be more difficult to control once you start them back on medication. Mm -hmm. So if you do wean them off of medication, it has to be done very, very slowly and under the guidance of a veterinarian who can help. The flip side of the coin are the dogs that we consider refractory or drug resistant. It seems like unfortunately, regardless of what medications you give these animals, they still continue to have seizures. And that is probably about 30% of the population. So more dogs, unfortunately, are on the severe side than on the mild side that get remission. And those are the dogs that are most challenging. Of course, the dogs that I see at at the veterinary school, which is a referral institution more often, um, that have been through a lot of the different medications and they're still having seizures. And at that point, then we can start thinking about some alternative therapies but ultimately, the goal is to try to um, get a nice balance. So we maximize seizure control while minimizing the side effects, and just get to the dog to the best quality of life possible. Knowing that, unfortunately, we're probably never going to be able to control those seizures.
0: Right. So I'm wondering, you know, like there's so many DNA tests out now for various canine conditions are we anywhere close to finding genetic links to epilepsy? We're, we're looking on it. And I, I personally don't
1: do the, uh, the genetic research, but there's several centers in the United States and abroad that are doing that work. And at first, the thought was that it, it would be, I shouldn't say a simple task, but a simpler task because of the amount of um, inbreeding within certain breeds that it kind of concentrates the genes. And the thought would be, well, it might be, Uh, relatively, I shouldn't say easy, but successful attempts to try to get these genes. And it's been proven that it's not that case. And the thought is that it's probably complicated in terms of its genetics. So it may not be a single gene. There may be multiple genes or a gene may influence another gene. So there are researchers that are actively pursuing it. The biggest centers in the United States are at Minnesota and Missouri. Um, And then there's some, again, in Europe. And we found the genetics for a few very specific conditions, epileptic conditions in dogs. But in general, for instance, the golden retrievals or the poodles, we still haven't found it. So I think, I think it's, it's out there. Um, and hopefully we will get more information. But I think it's proven to be not as simple as a lot of the other disorders for which we do have the genetic test for now.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that there might be multiple genes and different types, and you know, right. having to rule all of that out. And it's so frustrating if you love a type of dog that tends to run with epilepsy in their, in their heritage, just because if the age of onset is six to six years, most breeding females are going to be done breeding by then, <laughs> and you right. won't know like before yes. that's over. And some of the stud dogs might go a little longer, but in general, you're just not going to be able to rule that out very easily, Um, although I'm sure there's some breeders who kind of do their best to see, oh, this line has epilepsy, I better shut that down. Um, Let's see, I'm curious about any common triggers for seizures. So somebody asked, can flea medications cause seizures? Um, Do you know of any kind of stimulants or specific (laughs) pre-events, precursors that are common that stimulate seizures in dogs?
1: Uh, yeah, so in terms of the flea and tick medications, that's a question that I get quite often. And if you read the package inserts on a lot of these medications, it does have as a potential adverse effect seizures. And the reason for that is, is a lot of these medications act on the nervous system of the flea or tick, whatever it is, and that's how they exert their effect by ki- in killing the flea or tick. Um, so it does have effect on the nervous system. And usually the dose is so different between dogs and cats and uh, the, the pests that we're trying to get rid of that it's not a problem. But in certain cases, it can be, particularly in animals that are predisposed to seizures. So it's not likely that an animal that's not predisposed to seizures will get seizures from these medications, unless, again, there's a specific problem that uh, predisposes them, for instance, with the collies and the ivermectin um, problems. but it can potentially cause problems. So in my mind, I recommend flea and tick problems. And again, it depends on what part of the country you're in and how bad the problems are. In North Carolina, the fleas and ticks are pretty bad. And the potential to get disease associated with those, besides just the annoyance of flea allergy, the potential for transmission of disease is pretty great, that we recommend flea and tick control. And what I'll tell owners is that if you think that there's an association So just having a few seizures after giving medication once doesn't prove anything to me. But if you're on a monthly and you notice that every month your animal is having seizures after giving the medication, then I think it's wise maybe to take a change and see what happens. One thing to think about, though, is a lot of dogs have a pretty specific seizure cycle. So some dogs will get into a cycle where they seizure every 30 days or every 40 days so if you happen to have a dog that's on a seizure cycle of every thirty days and that's the same cycle of the medication you're giving, it may look like there's an association. So the best thing to do before saying this is absolutely the cause of the seizures is to stop that medication for a while, put the dog on something else to prevent the bleeds and ticks and see if it persists. Yeah. And it may or may not. So I again I don't I, I usually recommend put them on the medication, um, but if you're concerned about it, then then take some steps
0: and check and with, the correlation <laughs> exactly not the, so it's not causation causation
1: exactly and with respect to other triggers um, you know some people will mention um, change in weather that can trigger by all means we know stress can trigger seizures um, in animals that could be a change in the household so some dogs will have more seizures you know around the holidays when a lot of people are in and out of the house there's a lot of bustle some dogs will seizure when they go to the groom or when they go to the veterinarian so we know that stress can exacerbate seizures and that's something that's known in people as well Um, and people actually um, lack of sleep can exacerbate seizures as well.
0: Okay and so the stress of surgery could be a a trigger but do we know anything about anesthesiology and sort of like the physical (laughs) surgeries that would trigger a seizure outside of just stress generically? Um, I would say
1: probably not. The one thing about anesthesia um, is most anesthesiologists or veterinarians who are administering anesthesia, they know there's certain drugs that you should use and not use in dogs that have epilepsy because there are drugs that can predispose seizures and drugs that are safer for dogs with epilepsy, and most, most veterinarians know that. I think the biggest concern about a dog that has anesthesia um, is the fact that Again, there is a stress, and also there may be some slight alteration in the seizure medications that the dog is receiving. So, because they're fasted for the anesthesia, and if they wake up, and you know they're not taking food yet, giving a different formulation, so there may be some alterations in the seizure treatment and associated with the stress. I think that could
0: cause. Okay. Yeah, my dog's seizures di- got really bad after surgery. He had lipoma surgery because he had uh-huh. like a this like a bigger than a baseball, (laughs) bigger than a softball, um, lipoma. And he had surgery at about 11 years old, somewhere in that year. Um, and then after the surgery, I don't know how long after, uh, maybe three days, he started seizing far worse. So before they were kind of just stiffening up and this time he was doing paddling and clenching his jaw and they were happening like regularly. And so it wasn't until after that, that we started medication medication because it was so Um, traumatic for him. Um, I think he was clenching his jaws so hard that he couldn't eat for a while and we couldn't figure Uh out why he wasn't, but he wasn't able to chew. I think it hurt. Um, So we did baby food for a little while and then Uh he got his muscles relaxed and he felt better and he could eat again. Um, But yeah, is that, I mean, is it common for things to get worse just from the stress of this? Yeah,
1: not really. And I would say, I'm sorry you had that experience. It sounds like it was very traumatic, I could understand, but that's very unusual. Mm -hmm. So usually if we see breakthrough seizures at the time, it's usually just right around the time of the stress and the, whether it's due to the surgery or other things. Um, And it's not long lasting. So it may happen and then it, it resolves.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I'm not quite sure um, in terms of your own dog situation, that that's a little bit more unusual from what we normally see.
0: And he was older and maybe there were some other neurological things happening, possibly. Okay, so I'm going to throw a question at you or just a, a scenario that someone shared. Our golden doodle has had seizures since she was five years old. She's on phenobarbital and potassium bromide and takes Valium during stressful events that have triggered seizures in the past. It's so sad, but we are under control now with the right doses of meds. Her seizures can last hours. I would be interested to know if this is typical. She loses her balance, paces, can't remember how to get around our house, has accidents. It's so sad to watch when it happens. It typically begins in the middle of the night and could last 20 minutes or Hours and I just want to preface this with saying, just take this as education rather than treatment suggestion.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I would say that a typical seizure itself usually just lasts a matter of a couple minutes. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a seizure itself that lasts more than five minutes, then we're a little bit worried that there might be something going on that needs to be addressed. But what we see after a seizure is postictal behavior, and that can last for minutes. Or hours. And the postictal behavior is when the brain just isn't quite, it's getting back to its normal situation. And postictally, um, animals can wander around the house, they can be confused, they can bump into things, they can be blind, they can be excessively hungry. So all sorts of things. And the time that that lasts can vary from animal to animal. And again, it's something that we don't know why more severe seizures, maybe have more severe postictal signs, but not necessarily. So I'm wondering if um, those dogs' seizures, if the dog truly did have a seizure, which was less time, and then the postictal behavior um, was what went on for so long. And quite honestly, sometimes in some situations, the postictal behavior can be as distressing or more distressing than the seizure itself. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing we can do for that postictal behavior. Some Some people will provide some sedation in that period, but there's really nothing we can do to do that is for
0: It definitely feels helpless as you watch your dog yeah. trying to settle down and seem so agitated and confused. Well, we are about out of time, so I want to thank you again, Dr. Munyana. Um, thank you so much for being willing to come on and talk to us about epilepsy and seizures. Um, appreciate your expertise. Oh, it's been my pleasure.
1: And one other thing I would like to mention to um, the audience is that I do have a study going on right now that we are looking for participants in. And you don't have to be in North Carolina to par- participate. So we are looking for um, dogs that have epilepsy and live with a dog that's non-epileptic. And owners um, need to collect a fecal sample. We're looking at the fecal or the GI microbiome in these dogs to see if perhaps the intestines and diet and the gut play a role in epilepsy. Um, So if there are people who think they may qualify or interested, um, I would encourage them to um, contact me or um, through NC State or um, if you post the information as well, that would be helpful.
0: Yes, I will definitely post that. I'll post a flyer and I'll put it in our email and um, everywhere else that we share this. (laughs) We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses Podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A D M I N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page, as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.